0: This is You Can Adopt, a series which explores and debunks many of the most common misconceptions about adoption in England. You'll hear first-hand experiences from many different people involved in the adoption process, with each episode hosted by recognisable voices sharing their own experiences of adoption. To find out more and to begin your journey towards growing your family, please visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. Now, enjoy the episode.
1: Hello and welcome to episode 18 of the You Can Adopt podcast series. My name is Charlie Condu and I will be hosting this episode which is going to focus on exploring LGBTQ adoption. Now, many of you might know me from my time on Coronation Street playing uh, Midwife Marcus Dent or um on Holby City or various <laughs> various other 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 programs. But I'm also the parent to two excellent children that I have with my husband Cameron and a friend of ours, Catherine. Um now we didn't adopt, we co-parent but i am a passionate advocate for lgbtq plus parenting in whatever shape it comes and in fact i had a column writing about it and writing about my experiences in the guardian for a while and so i'm really honored to have been asked to host this episode joining me are my guests adam and daniel adam's from middlesbrough his husband daniel grew up in dubai but they both now live near newcastle together they met working in a hospital, fell in love, got married, and later on began thinking about having children. After beginning the adoption process, they were quickly matched with a child. I'm going to stop there and hand over to Adam and Daniel, who I'm sure will be much more interesting telling their story than I am. So um, welcome, Adam and Daniel.
2: Thank Thank you, you, Charlie. Thanks for having us.
1: So to kick things off, do you want to do you want to just introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit more about your experiences of choosing to adopt a child as a couple? Adam, do you want to kick things off?
3: Yeah. So, I'm a pharmacist from Middlesbrough and met Dan when we were working in a hospital. He was a medical student at the time and fell in love like many people do and then got married, moved up to Newcastle. Decided we wanted to start a family and started finding out more about adoption. And then we kind of paused things for a little bit because we weren't sure it was the right time because we just moved and we wanted to set ourselves up a bit more comfortably in Newcastle first. And then a couple of years passed and we decided it was the right time then. So we found out more information about the process, started stage one, which is just the background information finding bit and then decided to move on to stage two which is where you have more in-depth conversations with a social worker and you go to panel and you get approved and then we started being matched with children.
1: Very good and and Daniel have you got anything you want to add to that?
2: I came to the UK as a, as a university student and um, I stayed here ever since. Uh Uh, And then met Adam, and basically have done as I've been told since then. (laughs) Always the best way. Always the best way.
3: It's what many doctors do when pharmacists are involved. They just do what they're (laughs) told to do. Exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: And how long had you been together before you um, before you decided to adopt and have a kid?
2: We met each other in 2013, so ten years ago now. But. we decided to adopt probably just before the pandemic hit. Mm. Um, so it would have been about seven years.
1: And it's it's one of those things, isn't it? That I mean, for a long time, certainly in my experience, it wasn't part of the conversation with LGBTQ plus people. Having kids was something that not many of us did. My kids are a bit older now. They're 11 and 13. Um, and certainly when I was looking at doing this, Adoption wasn't really an option, certainly wasn't an option for single gay men. Um, surrogacy was in its infancy. So again, not really an option and co-parenting, which is what I do, was sort of unheard of. And, I, and it feels like in that certainly in the last decade, things have, have really changed. What, what was it that made you decide to become parents? Was it something that you'd always wanted or, or did you kind of, you know, have conversations and decide together?
3: I think it was something when we first met we we kind of discussed it quite early on um and said like do we want families are we in this for the long haul or you know what what are we expecting from this kind of relationship and we both agreed that we wanted the whole family life marriage house type lifestyle and then it was just always on the always on the cards if you like we didn't really know how we would become a family but we knew that it was something we wanted because we both had really good family backgrounds I you know I'm really close to my family Dan's really close to his family so we knew that we we wanted that as part of our lives when we were adults.
1: Yeah yeah was there a reason that you decided to choose adoption as a route I mean did you consider any of the other options for starting a family or was was adoption always the one that made sense?
2: Uh, for me, I think um, we did consider we did consider a surrogacy, and for me, I, I I didn't like the idea of um, involving a third person, uh, bringing a, a, a child into the world through sort of slightly unconventional or unnatural sort of. Uh, you know, relationships when there are already children waiting to have to find homes. Uh, and, And I think partly for that reason, we did park the whole idea for a few years until adoption became a bit more available, in a sense.
1: Did you think that possibly you wouldn't be able to adopt because of your sexuality?
2: The thought never crossed my mind that we'd be discriminated against, and and actually we weren't when we when we tried for the first time. So I haven't had the sensation or the the, the kind of the feeling that um, we we wouldn't be able to adopt because we were gay. Um, so, I, 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 but I'm sure other you know people before us and couples, gay couples before us, would have had that, as you describe.
3: I think there's like a generational difference almost in that like so we have lots of role models who've adopted and there's people who in the media that you know who've adopted or have have had families so it kind of you know it was something that we just thought yeah we can do this it wasn't something that all being gay is going to stop us it was this is something we can do and we just got to choose the route to get to it if that makes sense
1: yeah it does completely in fact I was going to ask you about if you knew of any other people that had done it because certainly when when I was doing this and one of the reasons that I, in fact w- wrote my column in the Guardian was was purely for that reason. There was nobody else doing it. There certainly weren't any out gay men publicly talking about having kids. I mean, I was pre Elton and David and Ricky Martin and H from Steps and all those guys. Um, <laughs> they all copied me um, I see. <laughs> but um but it but it but it's interesting, isn't it when you when you feel stuck in that sort of world of thinking. I, I want to be a parent, but I have no idea how to do this and it's and and I suppose it must have been really useful for you to to see other people. Did you know anybody else, any other gay men that had adopted
2: I don't not, think it, not, not in our kind of social circle certainly no. we we didn't know anyone, just celebrities
1: <laughs> yeah <laughs> just the famous people did you yeah. so when you when you made that decision to adopt, did you talk to friends and family about it and and how were they?
3: I think when you get to a certain age and you're in a, a, a couple or a relationship, people just assume that kind of the next step is going to be children. So people started asking us about it. So, you know, are you going to um, get a surrogate? Are you going to find somebody to have your babies? Do you want to borrow my uterus? Was a conversation that I had <laughs> with a lot of yep. my female friends. Yeah. Um, dance from india so a lot of people assumed that we would just adopt a child from india and that Mm, that's really easy like what madonna or somebody does
2: or that i'd marry a woman you know that that was an assumption made by several people in my family and then i was i was sorry to dash their hopes
3: but (laughs) (laughs) um so people did ask us about it so we talked about it with people um but it wasn't something we would have chosen to speak about i guess
2: yeah I think that the conversation happened, but we never re- we never really took it seriously as kind of uh, in terms of uh, surrogacy. or you know, uh, uh, mm. our, our female friends offering to um, be a surrogate. So, so that was just, um, uh, yeah, it never went forward. And then I think yeah. we we did think actually we'd want to start a family. We should look into adopting because neither of us were really keen on surrogacy. Mm, yeah,
3: yeah. I think again, like I from where I'm from, there's lots of children who are in the care service, and yeah, I yeah. guess. I I've seen those people in care, and we know some people who who grew up in care, and it's you know I I knew those children were there, and felt like you know we could create another human to look after, or we could look after one that's already there, and a lot of the uncertainty around the legal aspects of surrogacy and and things like that made me really un uncertain um, yeah. about a very emotional part of someone's life so I think for us the adoption route was something that was a little bit safer it was a little more well understood there was more mm-hmm. rules to follow a bit more guidance um there was podcasts like this one that we could listen to um excellent that made it easier for us to understand what was going to happen
1: I, I'm not sure of the exact statistics but I think it's something like one in six children that are adopted in the UK at the moment are adopted by an LGBT family um, wow. which is huge really and it's yeah. certainly never used to be that way and so it's great that it's becoming more commonplace and easier however having said that as i'm i'm sure you know the the, the route to adopting and having a child isn't the easiest one mm-hmm. um and, and we'll come to some of that later but how, how did you find the whole adoption process and did and did you find it lgbtq plus friendly
3: most of the time it was really inclusive and a lot of the conversations that we had with social workers and with other adopters and with foster parents everything like that was was really really positive there wasn't Mm. very much kind of discrimination or discriminatory language used Mm. i think what surprised us the most was that even though there is a large proportion of adopters are from our community yeah when you go to the training there's still a lot of heterosexual couples. And I think I was almost shocked by that because um, I wasn't expecting it. I was expecting it there to be a lot more gay men, a lot more lesbians, a right. lot more single people. Um, so when I saw a kind of obviously, we adopted during the pandemic. So a lot of the training we did was on Zoom. So ah, yes. when I saw these couples joining who were heterosexual, I was like, oh, okay, like I didn't expect this. So everything was fine in terms of us being, you know, supported to adopt. I guess it was just there wasn't as many people from our community as we thought there would be.
2: It was really smooth, and we were. I think I thought we sailed through the whole um, process where you, know, you have to be approved, and then the matching process. It was quite quick, and uh, quicker than I was kind of expecting almost. And I don't know whether that was anything to do with us being LGBT.
1: So that's interesting because I was I was going to ask you if you felt like it was different. Adopting as a same-sex couple, if that was different to to, to being um, a, a straight couple, but it sounds like there might be a difference, and the the difference might even be in your favour. It's fair to say that the adoption process is really intrusive, um, and and I think those guidelines and those those rules, if you like, are there for for a reason. As you say, it's much easier in a lot of ways just to get together and get pregnant and have a kid mm. because then you're not. You're not held up to these standards, you're not asked all of these questions but mm. i mean do do you understand why it needs to be that way did you did you kind of get a sense of why that was important?
3: Yeah, yeah yeah for yeah. sure I mean the the people that we spoke to although you know they they are horror stories and it's really emotionally difficult to go through and that level of people asking you about your business you know it is it yeah. is intrusive and it does take over your life a little bit um but totally understand why that that's the process because there are people going into adoption for the wrong reasons people who maybe mm-hmm. you know haven't had children for whatever other reason think that adoption is a kind of a tick box exercise where you turn up and you say that yeah. you want a blue eyed baby with blonde hair <laughs> and you want them to be able to be potty trained. And it's a bit like, you know, buying a new handbag or something. And, and there are people, unfortunately, who go into it to do that. So I think there's absolutely the, the process I think is is robust and it's intrusive, but I think it's needed for sure. For a reason, mm. yeah.
1: Did you have any kind of idea about what kind of a child you wanted? Did you know that you wanted a boy or was it just one child even? Because I know a lot of people, um, certainly a lot of LGBT people, take on siblings. So was that just something that you, you kind of knew what you were looking for?
3: Not really. So we mm. we are quite an unusual adopter couple because when we went into it, we had a really open mind. So some of the other people that we were talking to on the training, kind of, you know, they had that perception of this is the child I want. And we didn't have that. And I think that's why we were placed with, our son so quickly because we had that really open mind of, of who we could adopt. I, and
2: Yeah, Adam got slightly carried away and um, said, oh,
3: we should take a sub-
2: sibling group of five. And I just said, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, we're not having five kids at once. Yeah, at
3: one point.
1: Maybe not for the first time,
3: yeah.
2: Not for the first time anyway. Yeah. I was thinking we could
3: put a bed here and we could have bunk beds there and bunk beds there. and hey, It's easy to get carried away. Yeah. Yeah. I
1: know how these things happen. But we, we, you didn't have any kind of surprises during the process. There was nothing that kind of seemed a bit no. left to you by surprise, no? It was all pretty straightforward, it sounds
2: like. I think, well, from my memory of it now, it it was intrusive, but it was straightforward. Okay. I think, you know, and and... Yeah, we we um, our only stipulation was that the child should be kind of not to eighteen months, mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to teach, I wanted to sort of speak to my child in my mother tongue and try and teach, pass on some of my right. kind of you know customs to my child. That hasn't happened from for <laughs> our son, but you know, it was it was a, it was a good uh. thought to have. Yeah. and i think that, uh, other than that we said we'll accept any any
3: child So the surprise for us was just how quickly it happened yeah. so on the day we got approved usually you hear these stories of people who they get approved and then they wait you know three years four years five years six years mm-hmm. to find the child but for us it was literally in the email where they said we're approved we are it said there's a child for you could you give me a ring Oh, so really? it was literally the same day that we got approved. We got told about our son and then we're sent wow. his profile and asked to make a decision. If we would like to move forward, would we like to know more? Would we like to meet, you know, his pediatrician? Would you like to meet his foster carers? Yeah. The big surprise for us was that it was so, so quick. Yeah. Um, How
1: quickly it happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that point, had you had any training? Had you had any kind of? Because I know you get all of that stuff when you when you're adopting, right? You get information. You you go through a process. Had 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 that sort of. I mean, did it feel like a bit of a shock suddenly going, we've got a kid? Mm. What happens after that?
3: So you do get training um, before you get to the point where you're approved. So the training is very generic and it's more Mm. about uh, bringing someone else into your family and respecting their identity before their adoption and how you might integrate them into your family. So the training is very general. And then you have your meetings with the social worker. They find out all about you and they write a report that goes to a panel. And then the panel read the report and decide whether you are approved as an adopter and at that point it's you can adopt a child but not that you right. will adopt a specific child after that point you then get told about children potential children who may mm-hmm. be suitable for you who might you, know, you might be matched with so if the social worker tells you something about that child that you feel like you won't be able to deal with. So if they mm. had like complex needs or, you know, they were from a background that you didn't feel comfortable, like you'd be able to parent them or give them the home that, that you'd like, then you yeah. can say, no, that child's not for me. Right. Um, and then the social worker would look for other children that, that would be suitable for you. But for us, with with our son, we everything we found out about him, we were just like, Yeah, okay next yeah okay next yeah okay and then the more we found out the more we started to feel like he was this little person who we already knew everything about but had never actually met right and then once we did get to meet him it was just like amazing we kind of felt like we knew him a little bit we Mm. were already doing some of the things that parents would do for their children even though we were really early on like what? So like feeding him, for example. Oh, so yeah. on your yeah. first visit, your the instructions from the social worker were to stay six feet away because of the COVID pandemic and uh, yes. you know, just just interact with him but not actually touch him or hold him or anything like that.
2: And spend forty five minutes there. Yeah. So we end up staying for four hours uh, and yeah. end up doing a feed, uh, putting him mm. to sleep. it was it yeah. was really I mean, the chemistry was just there instantly for yeah. us. And wow. part of that
3: was the foster carer that we had, who was excellent. I can't thank our foster carers enough. Yeah. They're just amazing people. And she basically, our foster my son's foster mother, we call her Mammy Annie. Um yeah. she basically said to us, you know. It's my house, I can invite whoever I want into my house in my bubble. And I've been looking after this baby for a year, pretty much now. Mm-hmm. So come into my house and meet him properly, because if this is gonna work, it needs to work. right? And so she gave us the kind of empowerment to, to properly engage with him, and and that just really cemented, cemented it for us. So then, yeah, we, we oh, met him.
1: That's gorgeous, what a, what a wonderful woman. To do that, because it was such a weird time, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so to be, to be going through that process and, and to have all those kind of boundaries, if you like, you're not allowed to touch somebody, It must be impossible.
2: It almost felt like the, the adoption was against the odds because it had happened so quickly for us. And despite the pandemic and the the rules to kind of stay away from each other, we still managed to adopt. And I think that, that made it all the more special for us.
1: Right. So I wanted to ask you a bit about just generally about being LGBTQ Parents and your experience of that, I was certainly worried when I decided to have kids. I was worried about how my friends and family would take it. I was worried about the wider world in general. I was worried about you know when they went to school if they were going to get bullied and all of that kind of stuff. I wondered, did you think about any of that stuff
3: i I didn't really worry about that mm. so much. I was worried a little bit about the relationship he might have um or might not have um with his mother so in in my head i have a really good relationship with my mom and mm-hmm. um i know dan does as well and i was kind of feeling like oh he's not going to have that person in his life he's not going to have like that figure who he sees every day who he can completely trust and talk to about anything um and that's part of my own kind of prejudice of of what motherhood is i guess mm mm-hmm and quite quickly once we brought him home like we kind of realized actually we're both fulfilling that role we're both doing yeah. little bits of motherhood and little bits of fatherhood so i i don't really have that worry anymore that he's missing out on mm. on that side of of a parent um so yeah i, d- I don't really worry that he's missing out on anything
2: mm. no i i know what you mean though charlie i think i did think what how others would perceive and i think we've had mostly positive reactions from the kind of members of the general public you know who see us out <laughs> in kind of supermarkets or trains or whatever yeah and people in Newcastle are generally very warm and loving and yeah. Um, yeah it's all been very positive I think
3: if anything I would say it's been like a positive kind of discrimination like people right you know when they see you they wave at you they smile at you that you know if if when I've looked after other children and I've been with friends who've got children and yeah. we look like a heterosexual couple with a child, you know, people don't yeah, do yeah, that. Yeah. But when I'm with Dan and, and Sam, people do just randomly wave at us or start conversations with us.
1: Do you think do you think you're a bit of a novelty uh, around there? Yeah. Is it, is it just genuinely quite welcoming? I,
3: I guess that we are a bit of a novelty. So we're we're a mixed race couple as well. Yeah. I guess that now we have a kid (laughs) and now (laughs) we have a kid. So people are kind of interested in what, how we got to where we are. yeah. yeah, I remember
2: once in the middle of, in the centre of Newcastle, we were we were with Sam and um, uh, and this lady just stopped us and kind of just had a uh, kind of conversation with us about how her own son was gay or is gay and uh, was looking to have children and how did we go about it. It's pretty much what we're talking about now and she wants mm. to know everything. So I think sometimes it is a conversation starter and actually for us, we're quite happy to share those yeah. you know, yeah. our thoughts. And our
3: I mean, it experience. was a bit scary because she, she kind of approached us randomly in the street and was like, can I take a picture of you? And we were like, um, what's that for? Like, where is this going? So yeah. So I think people are interested and ask us, but it's not, it's not like a negative thing that I've experienced. Yeah. I I remember
1: having the same thing, but, but, but then, you know, when my kids were small, I was on Coronation Street. So having my picture taken was just something that I got used to. But a lot of the time people would ask to take pictures of me with the kids, which I always found a little bit odd and, but yeah, I would always yeah. say no to that. It's interesting what you say about the 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 roles that you take and the the worry that you had about them not having um, a mother figure, if you mm. like, because they've actually started doing studies into gay parenting now, mm. and one of the things that they've noticed, and and while I am absolutely not saying that being an LGBT parent is better than being a straight parent, <laughs> there are some <laughs> observations that have been made, which is. Traditionally, in a, in a heterosexual family, the mother and father fall into roles that are that are a bit stereotyped. So it tends mm. to be that the mother does all the caregiving and the nurturing and the emotional stuff, and the father tends mm. to do all the practical fun stuff and you know the playing games and the teaching and all of that kind of stuff. And it's it's just the way that the world kind of works. Mm. What's interesting about looking at gay couples is you don't have those things. So what tends to happen is the caregiving falls into skill sets. So one of you might be better at looking after them when they're ill. One of them might be better about teaching them how to read, whatever it is, but it doesn't form into, it, it doesn't fall into kind of, gendered roles if you see what I mean it's not like the mum does this and the dad does that and so I think it's interesting with same-sex parents that you start to see that actually the bits that they do are the bits that they're naturally better at which I think is a better way of doing things so certainly a lot of my straight friends get really annoyed that they have to you know the (laughs) the, 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 the mum isn't necessarily the one that's better at that stuff or the dad isn't the one that's better but but that's the way that the world sort of works I think it's it's really interesting to to, that they're starting to look at that stuff because that's how parenting should be. We should all do the bits that we're good at, right?
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think there's no reason for it to be gendered. I think that you know, I think Mm. we, for us anyway, I'm, I'm. uh, I am the fun parent, and uh, yes. I'm not yeah. saying I'm the favorite, but he does want me to put him to sleep every night. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I think that he does have his favorites, and he sure. thinks of us in certain ways. I think, and
1: yeah, and I think that's normal for kids, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. They they like what they you know they like routine, and they like it. If there's one person that does that, then that's the person they
3: want yeah. to do it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And the, if there's some person who lets them get away with bloody murder, then of course they're <laughs> going to want you to put them to bed every night.
1: No comments. <laughs> okay, well, before we get into a domestic, I'll uh, I'll, I'll move swiftly on. Uh, do, I mean, I, I probably know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you, do you think that you will, I mean, how, how are you going to talk to Sam about having same-sex parents and about being adopted? Are you going to talk to him about it?
3: yeah so we we already do talk to him, so he's he's coming up three and mm-hmm. you know he he knows that you know other kids at the nursery have mummies, and you know he he sometimes asks about mummy um and you know I explained to him and, and I said you know your mummy lives in a different house, and you live with daddy and papa um and we have a a book that has pictures of his foster family in and of his birth parent in that we know about mm-hmm. and we we talked to him about those people and you know, that they are a part of his life. So, so we talked to him about it already in a very open, honest, and I'd like to think it's an age appropriate way. Yeah. So, yeah. Of course. so, you know, we're saying that you just, you don't live with them and that's it for now. And as time goes on, if he gets more curious and he wants to know why he doesn't live with them, then again, we'll, we'll think of something at the time that makes sense for him. Um we're quite lucky in that the families that we come from are quite diverse. So, you know, some of my nieces and nephews, you know, they live with their dad or they live with their mom. And sometimes they spend a lot of time with grandparents. Yeah. And and so we're able to say, oh, you know, like, like your cousin, you know, his mummy and daddy live in separate houses and, and your mommy, daddy and papa live in separate houses. So he's got people, I think that he can, you know, just think of it as a normal, yeah. a normal thing. And then, as I say, as he gets older, we'll we'll tell him what's age appropriate. The social workers really help with that as well. They, you know, they've pointed us to the direction of some materials that are available to to be open mm. with him about that, and that's what's encouraged from a, a social service perspective.
2: Yeah, and then we we bought some books as well that he likes reading before bedtime. Just um, very age appropriate kind of uh, toddler, you know, books aimed at toddlers about kind of different sets of families and how they're they're all down they're all there to love the the children that are in them Uh, and he likes reading that book it's his favorite Mm. so so actually there are lots of ways to do it and i think if we keep sort of keep at it essentially and just chip away um time after time i think eventually he will understand and he will understand what's going on
1: Mm. this is the thing that you realize i used to get asked that question all the time how are you gonna I I still get it asked now and my kids are I mean I have a teenager and an 11 year old and people still say to me how do you how do you talk to them about you know your family and how do you explain to them the difference and how do and 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 people are very well-meaning but what you realize certainly as time goes on is you don't need to talk to them about Mm. it because you're living it yeah you're you're that's what they know. You don't ever have to explain how your family works because Mm. it's their family and it's what they know. (laughs) And it's actually really useful. I mean, we used to read all of those books and we talked to them about diversity and different families and certainly in their in both of their classes there were kids that were adopted kids that had two mums kids that were surrogates you know all sorts I mean I live in central London so you know (laughs) I'm sure it's not like that in a lot of places around the country but it was really interesting that they just grew up knowing that and and kids are naturally accepting prejudice is learned behavior yeah they are not born prejudice it's stuff that they're taught and I think you realise that actually you don't really need to talk to them about it. You just live life and they understand it. Um, they may end up having to explain it to other people who don't understand, but that's all right. My kids are uh, really good at that. They Ooh. just tell them, that, you know, tell it as it is, really. Yeah. So I think you'll probably find as as time goes on that actually that's not much of an issue.
0: Yeah.
1: I wanted to ask you, you're a, a mixed heritage couple, how important was it for you to adopt a child that was of mixed heritage?
2: No, no it wasn't important. It was it wasn't a stipulation no. for us. It was um, right. We said we'll accept you know a child of any any race really. But it 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 really wasn't that important, and still is not. You know we're we're going for a second one, and it still is not important. Um, I think uh, any the the more. more sort of conditions you set to to your you know to to the child you will accept the less likely you are to get matched and i think that's just how it works
3: i think yeah like from from my perspective as well it's kind of like we so me and dan are obviously different heritages and we get on okay so well most of the time and we have friends (laughs) who you know we've got a friend who's chinese a friend who's nigerian we've got friends from malaysia we've got friends like your family live in america canada india pakistan like we we know people from lots of different heritages and different backgrounds so yeah for us it was felt like whatever child came to live with us wherever they you know hail from whatever their heritage was we would have someone that would help us understand that background and be able to help right. us yeah. give that child the support to understand their heritage and and figure that out so we kind of felt like we could take on any child from any background mm. and be able to help mm. them understand their cultural heritage as well as the culture yeah. of you know being in in modern britain um so that for us it wasn't it wasn't an issue and when they yeah, found yeah. out that you know dan was indian you know, they kind of their eyes lit up because they were like oh because there's so many children from you know ethnic minority backgrounds in care who are yes. looking for permanent homes and when we said that we would accept a child who, you know, wasn't white with blue eyes and blonde hair, they were like, oh, right. So, you know, how quickly can you, can you start? Um, you know, they were really, really enthusiastic for us to get involved.
1: Did you know then that that um, Black and mixed heritage children actually wait longer to be
3: adopted we didn't know before we started the process mm. um and then in one of the training sessions they told us that children with additional needs sibling groups and children from ethnic or minority backgrounds waited longer and i think we were quite shocked yeah. because mm-hmm. we just thought like if you're going into adoption surely you've you've got some you know perspective and you know you you can mm. think you know a child is a child as a child and and you might want to try and help them
2: yeah I think for us it was the 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 whole uh, kind of uh, we didn't want our child to look like us necessarily and I think a lot of couples do and that's fine that's I I I can I can see why that that, you know people think that way they want their family to look a certain way and that's absolutely fine I get that but it it wasn't a stipulation for us I
1: it does sound to me like your experience of the whole adoption process and. Becoming Samit's parents has has been really positive for you. Mm. Do you think would you would you encourage more people from the LGBTQ plus community to to consider adoption?
3: I would because I think some people just don't consider it as an option. They don't think that they're you know they they'd be good parents, and you know kids aren't looking for good parents or perfect parents. They're just looking for permanent ones and yeah. if you're going to be around a while and you know you've got a spare room and you think that you can provide a loving home for someone then you should at least try and find a little bit out about it and then at least if you say no you know that you're making a definite decision of, of no but just kind of putting off and not knowing the full story I, I, you know I'd encourage anyone who thinks they can be a permanent parent to to a child to to find out more about it
2: yeah, yeah I, I, I'm I, on this same line here. I think uh, I would encourage um, fellow kind of LGBT um, community members to think about adoption, um, mm. whatever stage of kind of life they're in. I think it's it's a worthwhile thought. Uh, you don't have to go through with yeah. it, but at least consider it. and
1: At least look into it. Well, I mean, as I was saying earlier, it, it wasn't an option for such yeah. a long time and it really is now. And I think a lot more people from our community are starting to see that parenting is something that we can do as well. I mean, we even have equal marriage now, you know. It's yeah. almost like we're real people. <laughs> <laughs> um, did I did I hear you right earlier on? You said that you're going for a second.
2: Yes. Yes, we are. Yeah.
1: Ah.
3: Very attentive.
1: You, you didn't learn from having one child uh, well, how hard it is. <laughs>
2: i did learn and, and actually we we thought it was so much fun that we wanted to do it a second time yeah, it
1: is it is great and having two is fantastic yeah, yeah. Uh, we always said that we had our first child for ourselves but we had our second one for for georgia our daughter yeah. and they're great together and it's lovely to have two of them um what's happening how far down the process are you
3: So we're just at the point where we're going through the conversations with the social worker and the report that the social worker's written. She sent us to look at the first draft. So once we're happy with that, it'll go to a panel in about six weeks' time. And then if we're approved at that panel, then we'll start the matching. Right. Um, And hopefully it won't be such a long wait. Obviously, the second time you go through the process, you're matching three people with... A new child so exactly. it, it can take a little bit longer um and again we've had to have those conversations about well what type of child would you would you accept? I was going to ask
1: has that changed now that you have Sam yeah has it changed it, the kind of child that you want because before you were very open to, to to whatever whatever came your way but has that changed
3: yeah so I think we're still very open to what we would accept or what we would like to know about but obviously with we're already parents to to our son, so we. Mm, there's some of those conversations mm. that we've had with our social worker this time that have been a little bit different, and you know our social worker has been really good and guided us to to think about those things in a in a really grown up way. So yeah, so you know having a mature conversation of like realistically, could you go to a doctor's appointment every other day? Realistically, could you meet birth yeah. family members who live at the opposite end of the country every four weeks? And if you can't do that then you shouldn't say that you would accept a child who needs those things, if that makes sense. So so there are yeah, no totally in this time we, we have had to say like, no, we wouldn't accept that. And we wouldn't accept that. But we are still pretty open in terms of ethnicity and ages and genders and things like that. So and sibling groups. Yeah. <laughs> no, of
1: course. Uh, it, it makes complete sense that actually now that you have a son, you almost do have to be stricter with with yeah. with yeah. what works for your family. It was very different when it was just the two of you. Um
3: How's your life changed? Oh, that's a big question. I think the, the short answer is yes. <laughs> Good time. How has it changed is just, yeah. you know, it, it's much richer. There's, you know, there's so much going on all the time. He, you know, he wakes us up in the morning. He, you know, makes us go to sleep at night because we're, we're really tired. But he fills our day with mm. with joy and laughter. And even when he's being naughty and he's really trying your temper, your temper, you laugh about it mm. five minutes later because yes. you think, God, yeah, you this know. little person is just having my life. Like our house went from being this really kind of, you might be able to imagine it. So, you know, dual income, no kids, like house was pristine. It was clean. I it was remember tidy. It well. And now it's just like there's red, green, yellow, different colours everywhere, toys everywhere. It's just a completely different environment to be in. The cat
2: is terrified, never comes out.
3: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The cat who used to be the king of the castle is now, you know, only comes out at night. Um, So, yeah, that's completely different. But I would say, like, so we both work. We we were always quite career-driven. And I know some people think, oh, well, I can't have kids because of my job and I can't have kids because of this and that. And Mm. we both have, you know, we're still both working full time and it is working. I've been back at work now for nearly a year and it is working. You can have a full time job and, and still have children and it is okay.
1: Just lastly because I think we we we're sort of we're, we're coming to the end of our of our chat but w- what advice would you give to anyone who's considering adoption
2: I would say keep an open mind uh keep an open mind particularly about the children you would accept a child or children you'd accept and uh if you put too many conditions on you you're not going to be matched and i i, I mm. have had I, I have friends who tried to adopt and had very specific kind of conditions and then they still haven't been matched uh five years down the line so so right uh keep keeping an open mind about uh, about the whole thing i think my
3: advice would be to kind of approach it thinking about the long term not just thinking that you're gonna get, you know, a baby and they're gonna stay a baby because they don't. Um, so think about it from from the long term and have that view in your mind as well. Like long term, what does this look like? It might be difficult initially, but it will get easier and it does get easier, and you know it's it's a long term change to your life that that you're thinking about, not something short term.
1: Both fantastic, fantastic pieces of advice, guys. Thank you so much. Uh, I, could, I could talk to you for hours about this. I find it really fascinating. And it sounds like you guys are doing an incredible job. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your, your story and your journey with us. It's been, it's been really interesting to hear. And Thank for you for having
2: on. us. Yeah, thanks for having us on the show.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of You Can Adopt. Listen out for more new episodes coming up. For more information and to take the first step towards growing your family, visit youcanadopt.co.uk. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching You Can Adopt. PAC-UK is the country's largest independent adoption support agency and works with all of those affected by adoption and other forms of permanent care to provide advice, support, specialist therapy and counselling. For more information, please visit www.pac-uk.org or call 020-7284-5879.